Cornerstone Center for the Arts, where art and community come together. You are now listening to The Cornercast, the official Cornerstone Center for the Arts podcast with event updates, special guests, music, and more. This is John Coffey with the Cornercast, and uh, we've reached our segment, which is called the Judith Barnes Memorial Gallery Artist of the Month segment. And uh, the Judith Barnes Memorial Gallery is dedicated to the Cornerstone Center for the Arts founder and former president, Judy Barnes. And the mission statement is, this gallery resides on the second floor of the Cornerstone Center for the Arts and represents the mission of late founder, Judy Barnes. Access to the arts for all embodies the hope that she and many others had for this organization. With that in mind, we aim to utilize this space to empower local artists of all ages and showcase their work to the community. And the artist of the month this month is Bill Pattison. It is stated that the artistry of Bill Pattison captures those fleeting moments in time which are truly Americana. This noted artist and Indiana native has gained international prominence and popularity with collectors. Uh, welcome to the Cornercast, Mr. Pattison. Thank you, Jonathan. Have me here. Uh, I want to start off by just having you list your inspirations and your background as an artist. You have a pretty illustrious career, as I can see, and um, I just wanted you to uh, break it down, like how you, what first got you into art? Uh, probably one of the biggest questions I'm asked anytime I've ever gone anywhere is, when did you know that you had talent? Mm-hmm. And I can only say what my mama used to say, well, she's been gone, but when you see a young child, music, art, well, you see something a little different with it. So she said probably at three or four, um, she knows I had you know, a different type of talent than maybe a lot of kids my age. And mm-hmm. of course, when I got to school, that's how I did. Unfortunately, I didn't study. <laughs> so I did, I did. Only time I had my books open in school, basically, I was drawing in them. Um, I was fortunate to win a lot of awards in high school. I was kind of full of myself because um, I did have some success. I got married at 18, became a father, and uh, kind of gave up for a while on what I was like I was called to do and um, my mom and my sister were my two confidants always would tell me that you know God had given me a special talent. I went back to college, took a correspondence course, uh, went through several injuries, I spent five months in traction in a hospital hmm. um, and every time I'd tell God I would do it again but fortunately <clears throat> at 18, excuse me, <clears throat> at 28 I uh, messed my ankle up. They told me I would never I uh, played sports again, which my friend said I probably didn't play too well anyway. Uh, so I signed up to went back to uh, Indiana Wesleyan, which was Marion College. Mm-hmm. And three short years later, I was uh, blessed to get be professional and been doing it ever since. I had a few questions about your awards. Uh, since you've began that journey as an artist, you've accumulated uh, over 100 awards uh, through juried shows, uh, including the Phoebus Touring Artists in Athens, Greece, yes. Montserrat Gallery in New York, and the Art Showcase in Toronto, Canada. Which of these many awards stick out the most to you as the most significant ones in your career? Probably the who's who in American art because there's something you can't buy into mm-hmm. and you've got to be selected and uh, in any type of who's who in American art so first time I got turned down because I didn't have maybe as many accomplishments as what they wanted and I remember the day and uh, when I finally got my letter the second time I've been accepted uh, because it is more of the body of work and I've always been a dreamer it's like all of us if you don't dream you don't do things Go, right. goals work without dreams goals are on paper 
uh, all the other shows, again, I was blessed to, to uh, I would tell, because I've talked to many different students, that when you first start doing art, and obviously failure is kind of tough on all of us, and how do we calibrate success? Mm-hmm. If you're in your best artwork, and with it for sale or show, and you don't win anything that day, does that make you less of an artist? Because you can do the same thing in another show and win best of show. Right. Which time were you successful? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're successful if, if we're doing the best that we can in the internet. Definitely. So I th- but I, d- I do think failure has helped a lot in everybody's work. We have plenty of that. Art has a great way of humbling ourselves. Right, it? right, yes. That's definitely true. Uh, it takes a lot of trial and error to learn to, to find your place. Yeah as an artist or a musician. Now, I see that there are a lot of commission portraits listed here that are pretty prestigious. Uh, would you like to uh, speak on any of those? We've got former Indiana University basketball coach Bobby Knight, Notre Dame football coach Jerry Falls. Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Falls, Falls, sorry. Yeah. No, uh, former Indiana University football coach Lee Corso, 19 portraits of generals for the Indiana National Guard, six oil paintings for multi-service centers of Indianapolis. Uh, how did you go about getting these commissioned? Did people just hear about your talent or see your artwork? Yeah, I think like word of mouth, obviously career-wise, but mm-hmm. When they, a gentleman called me about the Bobby Knight, at that time was the Bobby Knight in mm-hmm. his prime. And uh, so when I got that, got accepted, and I used sent the articles and pictures from Bob and Lee Corso, and uh, one of the big mistakes, which I made many, mm-hmm. was not going to press uh, conferences as much. So I didn't get my picture taken with Bob when he signed mm-hmm. with Lee. Was not a smart move. <laughs> a picture is worth a thousand words, right. but uh, I was honored, obviously, to. Uh, to get to do them and they accepted those because obviously Bob had tons of pictures drawn of him. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always favorable on those. And uh, mm-hmm. then I had a contact from Jerry Faust when he was a Notre Dame football coach. Mm-hmm. And I got to go up and meet him. He was a great guy. And uh, it's funny, he took me in his office and I walked by pictures of Newt Rockney, you know. And right. Our procedure and Legendary. Yes, legendary. And we sat at his desk, super nice guy. And he goes, um, I'll let you do my portrait if we go over to, I believe it's Chris's ice cream shop, and you have to eat this um, banana split that mm-hmm. I've got 300 pound linemen can't hurt the eat. He said, if you can do that, I'll let you do my portrait. <laughs> so, a challenge. I had it down, it was coming out my ears and nose. I got it finished, and he said, well, I would have let you do it anyways. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, when we did the painting, we were going to do prints, and at that time, he was in, I think, his third year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Notre Dame's a tough place to coach, um, so we heard of his. A release that was going to happen, but uh, mm-hmm. besides doing the pictures, I always remember having those great opportunities there. Right. Uh, the ones for the National Guard, and same thing, a company called, and a lot of those were different because a lot of the generals were from the 1800s, so, and we didn't have internet back then, so I had to go down to Indianapolis uh, Library and look up what someone looked like, um, dramatically what they were explained as in, mm-hmm. in the 1800s, and uh, so that was all different, doing a portrait of someone that you didn't know what they looked like. <laughs> right, yeah. Takes a lot of imagination, yeah, yeah. which uh, I'm sure an accomplished artist like yourself has no problem with using your imagination to create great art. You are also f- featured in uh, numerous publications, including uh, Collector's Editions, Decor, U.S. Art, Collector's Mart. Which do you think stands out the most as far as your appearances? You just mentioned uh, about the commission portraits. You said one of the mistakes you made was not being that visible in terms of media. So when you did finally get published in these publications, did it feel like making up for those past mistakes? Uh, well, yes, because I didn't have to be there. So my, my, work, <laughs> okay. my work was there. Um, I, I did get to go, well, also a publishing company. I, I wanted to study publishing because mm-hmm. I heard all these 
terrible story that we go through as an individual artist, musician, whatever, uh, how you get chewed up and spit out. So right. I knew nothing about publishing. I studied for two, three years, and uh, I always thought publishing was like a book. Mm-hmm. It realized that everything that we released. So right. uh, I, was, I had a business partner come in, and we uh, selected four other artists besides myself. So we got to be in the trade shows. And I think the trade shows was kind of cool because I'm not trying to be name-dropping, but name dropping right. today uh, to be at shows with people like Robert Bateman uh, Thomas Kincaid before he was the Thomas Kincaid mm-hmm. uh, and sitting at these uh, art shows with amazingly talented and well-known artists mm-hmm. and I think most artists I think most of us would agree there's maybe a few hard heads but I think in this crazy world that we live in in art most people share a lot and help a lot so I had a lot of uh, confidence from those people saying hey you're doing a great job I was, I was a young artist at that time mm-hmm. Um, but just to walk on coattails of people that you admire and you, right. you kind of pinch yourself like, is this for real? Yeah, that uh, it's always great to have a support system and also uh, inspirations that are that are legendary. I, I've had the pleasure myself not to take away from your story, but in music, I've had the pleasure to actually get to talk to people that I looked up to when I was younger in music. And it's it's really a transformative experience for your art. It gives you more inspiration and uh, encouragement. Uh is always great from those that are around you and, and love what you do. Yes. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention, which I think is really cool, is uh, your TV show, The Art of Illusion. How, how did this come about? What all does it entail? Uh, is there any available on YouTube that we might be able to see? Or is it uh, well, DVD? We were, I'm sorry. We, we were uh, actually filmed up here at WIPB. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm going to talk about my career. It's kind of hard to talk about my career without also being... Uh, I don't want to use the word art instructor, but mm-hmm. sharing and teaching art for 40 years. Uh, go back to where I talked about earlier. I actually went back to college at 28. Mm-hmm. As a 28-year-old freshman, my professor at that time was a 29-year-old professor. So the first day we went out for coffee because he never had a 28-year-old freshman before. <laughs> and the very first day, marrying over a cup of coffee, he said to me, why don't you get your degree and teach? And I said, I will never teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of us who said things... Uh, to the never say of God never. that we're not going to do things. So uh, I was kind of pushed into it and uh, taught my first class in January of 79. And so I've been in over 100 cities throughout Indiana for wow. 40-some years. And so I say that to get to this point, because I don't teach art. I t- try to teach people how to see. It sounds cliche, but I would say if you want to, buy, if you want to paint, buy a book. Learning to see is a whole lot harder to see from the magical part. And I'll say right into it, I'm 50% colorblind, hmm. which makes it a little different when it comes to seeing color. Um, so I've had a lot of people come to me who've had a lot of training, maybe art teachers, and I said, if you already know the stuff, you don't need more stuff. Right. It's how to, how to see those. So I had a gentleman who was a teacher over in Lebanon, was in my class for about 10 years, and uh, he said, we've got to get you on TV. And I said, I don't want to be on TV. He said, you need to be on TV. I don't want to be on TV. There you go again. There we go again. Yes, there we go again. And so air goes. Um, I prayed about one day, and uh, I said, well, if we're going to film, I had met Bob Ross. Here we go, name dropping again. I met Bob several times. The legend. Public. Was an amazing guy off camera, as much as on camera. And I have donated a lot to PBS stations around the state. I lived in Indianapolis for 11 years, but this is where Bob filmed, mm-hmm. the IPB. And I said, well, if I were going to film somewhere, this is the place. And Richard Collins was our producer who had worked there with Bob. And so we filmed uh, four different episodes, and uh, we got to air for four weeks. Now, you have to get into 12 weeks of 
you have to have 12 episodes to get in syndication. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't want to be in total syndication, right. I never followed through on the rest of those. But uh, we do have the DVDs uh, on our website. Uh, you know, and, and what's the website? It's Bill Patterson Studio. And uh, if, if people address their PBS stations, I mean, they can still air those. I, I think we had a four-week stint during that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, people keep saying, well, I'm, I'm going to do new ones. I do uh, YouTube videos, more of the you know, working individually with each artist. But mm-hmm. I think all of us, like you're saying, well, Jonathan, art, all mm-hmm. of art, or whatever it is, when you're using the gifts, not just for ourselves and touching other people, we were saying before speaking, mm-hmm. we encourage people that we don't even realize because we all have those stories that someone else relates to and says, mine's a little different, but wow, I understand it. That's true. And that website is Bill, B-I-L-L-P-A-T-T-I-S-O-N studio.com. Yes. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to the listeners of uh, the podcast? Well, I was uh, I, obviously it's great to show over here. I uh, had never been over here to the gallery before my uh, granddaughter goes to ball state here wonderful singer and uh, she was talking to a friend and i got a call one day from leon and mm-hmm. uh, it was amazing what you what they've done over here and meeting different staff and getting meeting you today but mm-hmm. i guess i would just say all of us uh, life is never too short on doing things that sounds again sound cliche but art never leaves us uh, obviously movies Sports has a certain age faction, but I've had 80. Well, I had one gentleman was uh, my grandfather. Let me say that before I give up on that. But my grandfather was an artist, started late in life. So I got to sit beside him as a little kid and seeing things wrong with his paintings that I couldn't tell him why he couldn't see it, but he knew he wanted to get better. Right. So many years after that, I was the president of our local art league in Grant County. And I told my dad, I'd like for Grandpa and I to be in an art show together. So we went over and picked a painting out. He won his first and only award at 91 years old. Wow. So uh, the Marion paper did a full page article, uh, our local newspaper. He was like a rock star at the nursing home after that. <laughs> so I've got 90 year old people selling artwork and it's not to make them feel good. The big thing that art sounds good for the sake of doing it, but like all things in life, the best part about doing something is know that you're enjoying it, but also doing better. Right. So anybody who has any type of uh, aspirations, be it art or anything, uh, just never, you know, keep saying never give up. Uh, I think of anything, that's uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm still like a kid doing this. I would tell people if I didn't do art anymore, I still love it. It's never too late for art, and it yes. does definitely keep you youthful. Yes. Well, thanks for coming through. It's been a great conversation, and we hope to have you back. Oh, anytime, Jonathan. I want to hear your CDs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let you hear them. Yeah. Artist of the Month, Bill Pettison. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, it's John Coffey at the Cornercast with another special guest, Samantha Santini. And she is a photographer here in Muncie. And she actually took some photos at the last Cornerstone open mic. And she'll be there at the next upcoming open mic. And it was some great work. So I decided to have her come in and have a conversation with me about what she's got going on, her podcast and her photography and a few other things. Hey, Samantha, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. We always like to uh, reach out to people that use their uh, talents to help others. And I think that uh, those photos you took for the last uh, open mic were really good. And it it really inspired some of the performers. They really enjoyed those. I know you saw them posting them as their like profile pictures. I know I did all over the place. They enjoy your work. So uh, how did you get interested in the art of photography? And about how long ago did that happen? 
So it happened like right when the pandemic started, you know, like everybody else, pretty much I had extra time on my hands. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, I want to do something. So um, my best friend Michael and I, we see neighbors. So we used to go meet up in the morning and go on walks like every single day. Right. Yeah, we did not um, stay inside like we were supposed to. We would just like, be outside all day. But anyways, so yeah, we started walking and I just started taking pictures on my phone of like, you know, like nature, whatever I thought right. looked pretty. Um, and then I just slowly but surely got more into it. And then um, I decided, no, I want to try to like, do this real and actually get a camera and stuff. And I was going to like um, dish out money on like really expensive camera. And then my friend, he was like, no, you need to learn film photography first instead. And he gave me like one of his film cameras. Okay. Which back, like, it's crazy because like this was only a couple years ago, but like in 2020, like it's an Icon FM, which is like a classic film camera, but like it was only worth like a hundred or so dollars. Mm -hmm. And now it's like worth almost a thousand. Nice. So like it skyrocketed, but anyways. And so, uh, you got that, you know, it's it's great when people look out for your talent like that. I mean, yeah. it's a blessing, right? I mean, it's a nice, a nice opportunity. It's the same thing happens in music. It's like, when people give you a little bit of knowledge or a piece of equipment, I mean, it kind of pushes your, your your movement forward a little bit, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so that happened, and then I started, um, you know, taking pictures with it. I didn't know how to use it at first. It took me, like, two days to figure out how to even, like, open it to put <laughs> film inside it. But yeah, once I did, um, I just started taking pictures, and, like, it kind of went from there. I started... Um, reaching out to people and be like hey you want to do like this free photo shoot for me yeah i'm sorry i just i pictured you trying to struggle to open the camera for it for a day it, it's a struggle i actually have it with me so i can like show you how to open it did you but, did you uh did you take a break did you get so frustrated you had to take breaks yes it sat on my table for like a couple hours one day because i couldn't out how to open it oh man and, what kind of camera but, is it? Um, it's a it's a film camera. Yeah. Like so, there's 35 millimeter film. That's the most popular one. You know, it's like those little like round. Is this like old see. school? Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there's no screen. You can't see like what you take. Right. It's so, like you have to be very intentional with every picture mm. you take. I didn't even realize so, that. I thought that those were digital. Yeah. Nope. Okay. I see. So can't see what you're doing. That's but, the real deal. So do you think uh, most photographers today are digital, right? Mm -hmm. So does what do you think? the differences in quality from digital to the old school film cameras do you prefer the old school to digital or are there pros and cons or um so like i personally don't have a preference um i go back between film and digital because my opinion if you um you know if you really love photography and you really want to learn it as a whole especially professionally i think it's important to master both mm -hmm. like film and digital right so yeah um like i know people um that use film for, for professional shoots like editorials magazines stuff like that so um it really doesn't matter just whatever preference and whatever kind of helps your creative flow that's make, the most important thing that would make you more uh well-rounded as far as uh you know if you did have an opportunity where someone wanted you to use film instead of mm -hmm. digital you'd already know how to make it happen so yeah. uh as far as the film cameras are there limits to what you can do uh, digital is more versatile am I, am I right about that yeah so like digital cameras you know you have as much as your sd card will allow you so like 3,000 right. pictures or whatever and if you don't like you just be like oh i'm just gonna delete this like free up space but like with film it's like a roll of film and then right. you have like each exposure so like usually it's like 34 to 36 so you only have like 36 pictures and like if you already take a picture and mess up like have you ever had a kodak camera like the little disposal ones yeah yeah what about a polaroid no but i really want one yeah i actually have one 
I haven't really? used it in a long time because I, I tried to find the, the film for it and I couldn't find it mm -hmm. anywhere. So where do you know where they sell it? I mean, I've been looking. You have to go online. Like Polaroid has like brought like they're starting making new cameras now. They're bringing their yeah. film back because um, it's popular now. But you have to buy it online. Well, see, I looked up. Uh, I went and found my Polaroid camera. It was like one of the later models that they made. Mm hmm. It looks it looks pretty cool, but uh, I looked online and I think they said they sold it at like CVS or Walgreens or something like that. And I was like, that can't be right. And I was like, this stuff's been out of off the market for a minute as far as like where you could go in the store and get yeah. it. Yeah. And I went in there and they looked at me like I was crazy. He's like, Polaroid film. I was like, it says it on the website. <laughs> but I might have to order some because those are pretty cool. Um, they sell um, the film I use a 35 millimeter at like Walmart or CVS or Walgreens. Oh yeah. It is very overpriced there though. But no. they do sell it. Yeah. Well, uh, as far as the uh, live performers, was that the first time at the last uh, open mic where you actually recorded performers as they were doing their thing on stage? Yeah, so that was my first time photographing a live event. I was super nervous. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to use film, but like I used my digital because, you know, it was right. safer. Yeah. <laughs> like I can see okay. what I'm doing. But yeah, um, I was super nervous that they didn't come out good. Nobody would like them. Oh, everybody but loved them. I know. I was so happy about yeah. that because I was very nervous nobody would like them. I saw everybody I sent a photo to, like, made it their profile picture that that I was friends with mm -hmm. that were performers. It was like, here's your picture. And then it was like, profile picture. I kept yeah. seeing your photography. I know Joshua loves his pictures. Yeah. Jay Lee. Yeah, he's performing, yeah. At the, he's performing at the next one, too. He's a really cool dude. Yeah, that's my guy. He's uh He's been doing his thing in the local scene here for a minute, and he uh, he's definitely going to be performing at the next one we've got coming up January 28th, which is Friday. And um, you were talking to me earlier about your podcast that you have. Could you tell me a little bit more about that for yes. the listeners? So uh, my friend Isaiah and I, we have a podcast called The Deluxe Edition, and it sucks right now. It's nowhere near as um, <laughs> well put together and good quality as yours. You can't promote it like that. <laughs> But yeah, my friend um, Isaiah and I made a podcast called The Deluxe Edition. Yeah. And um, we just kind of talk about whatever we want on there. Right. But it's really fun. Um, it's a really good other creative outlet. Um, I wanted to try and take a break from photography for some time and just kind of explore, you know, like other right. things. So yeah. I started doing that. And it's a lot of fun. So uh, about how long does each episode run? Oh gosh, we're trying to Does work it vary? on this. So yeah, like we have we have about like two hour long episodes. Okay. But yeah, so it varies anywhere from like forty five minutes to like hour and a half. We're trying to like not do two hour ones anymore. Right. Well, yeah. see, mine. This is my third corner cast, and um, mine have been like a half hour, but I try to make them packed with with yeah with information and no like no lull time or whatever. Just like you know, just like guest questions and stuff. But yeah. I, you know, the off-the-cuff, this is like more one of the more off-the-cuff interviews, and those actually are, are entertaining as well. Some of them are informational. Some of them have to be entertaining. I think if you have a balance of the two, that's oh, what yeah. people want, you know. They want to learn something or learn about a person and also enjoy their personality, you know. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that it, that it sucks, though. <laughs> we're, okay, we're very new to the art of podcasting, right. and we're still learning. Yeah, you but might be, I mean, who knows, give it a give it a year or two, you might be on top of your game, uh, be a big major brand, you never know what happens, you know? So, our goal is to be, we want the deluxe session to kind of be like its own, like, media universe, if that makes sense, right. like, do a podcast, and then do, like, a YouTube channel, right. kind of like, um, if you know Smosh and how they have, like, all different stuff they do now. Mm-hmm. 
that's what we kind of want to do in like years to come so have you thought about maybe like uh, merchandise branding for your podcast with the logo or yes so um yeah that's why i'm trying to learn more um like social media stuff and like marketing and graphic design so we can get that the ball rolling on that get some t-shirts made sell some t-shirts you know have you thought about any uh do you have you had any guests so far is it just you two guys so okay the only guest was like me that's how i started the podcast because the first episode i was his guest and we just had like really good chemistry and it was a lot of fun so he's like hey do you want to like be my co-host i was like sure so technically no we don't have any guests oh that's interesting you know that's that's really interesting because uh some podcasts i was just thinking some podcasts have more of like uh the personalities of the hosts or what mm-hmm. and they just talk about current events and then other podcasts you know they're guest oriented like they have to have a guest yeah. on every episode ours is very laid back we just kind of talk on there like how two friends talk pretty much right we are um trying to incorporate more segments and stuff like just our past episode that um he should be putting out tomorrow we're doing a segment called song of the week where we both share a song that kind of got us through like that week or right. that we just liked it's a good idea yeah so uh do you have anything else you would like to say to uh any of the listeners out there like for instance any photography information you want to give out to the people how can they get a hold of you social media um, yeah so if you guys want to check out my photography i am on instagram my user is awkward analog that's my personal and then i have a business page that I'm currently building now. Awkward um, analog, is that all one word? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, my business page is Alluring Vision Photography. That's going to be like my official business once I get that up and rolling. Alluring so, yeah. Vision Photography. Yes. Um, I have a Facebook page for that and also Instagram. Also, if you would like to listen to Isaiah and I's podcast, it is called The Deluxe Edition. Um, it's available anywhere that you listen to podcasts. So it's on Spotify? Yes. All that, huh? Spotify, Apple Music, Pocket Cast, everything. Boom. Yes. Well, it's been nice talking to you, and I appreciate your time. And we'll have you back, definitely. Samantha yeah, Santini. thanks for having me. Introducing the Valentine's Day Couples Clay Workshop at Cornerstone Center for the Arts. We welcome all couples to participate in this romantic workshop just for adults. Recreate that romantic moment from the movie Ghost. Celebrate love by getting into some mud. We'll take care of your Valentine's Day planning with a creative evening full of clayful opportunities. So get your Valentine or best friend or gal pal and register early for this popular pottery experience. In person, you will cover the basics of throwing pots on the wheel in a festively decorated space. Both novices and experienced potters are welcome. All materials are included. Students can expect to make one to three pots and decorate them using textures and colorful slips. The class fee includes instruction and materials for two adults. Allowing time for the pottery to dry, fire once, be glazed, and fire again. We'll finish up your pots and in about two to three weeks, you can come back and pick up what you made. This romantic couples workshop will be taking place on Friday, February 11th from 6 to 9 p.m. in the basement at Cornerstone Center for the Arts. It's only $95 per couple, which means you're gonna have a romantic night out. We get to the dough, soon as we enter the dough.
Greetings, this is John Coffey with another episode of The Cornercast, and I have a special musical guest with me today. That's Juan the God from Muncie, Indiana, and he's going to be discussing his musical career and uh, also some of his business investments. He is a local businessman. That's one thing that's interesting about musicians is uh, you got to have a, a passion for music, but often the music doesn't pay off, so you have to have something to fall back on. So that's a very important aspect of uh, being an independent musician. How you doing today, Juan? Man, just chilling, man. Happy to be here. Glad you had me on your show. That's what's up. Uh, recently, I saw you on TV a couple times. Uh, you were on Wish TV and you were on uh, Indie Now. Could you tell us a little bit about that and uh, how that went down? Uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's my first time being on the news. Um, uh, the people on there was cool too, and um, you know, I was kind of nervous somewhat, you know, when I got on there. But then I wasn't because I'm kind of used to being on the stage. Right. But um, kind of the the first time I performed on there, the um, my sounds was kind of off, so I didn't feel like I gave my best performance because I was thrown off. But it was still good, you know. I got some feedback from people that I don't know and wanted to support, you know. So that's always good. Right, that's a big platform to be seen on television. That's one of the biggest local platforms. Well, it's not even local because it's an indie, but in the state of Indiana, one of the biggest platforms you can appear on or anywhere is uh, live broadcasting because there's a lot of eyes watching that and you can pick up some new fans doing that. Um, You said also that you met someone earlier when we were talking, you said you met someone during one of those broadcasts that invited you to perform at another uh, TV show? Yes, I met um, a broadcaster. His name was George Malay and... uh, when I had went in on the show, he was just filling in. So me and him, we was talking before the show, in between the show and after the show. And he had a show also on uh, Wish TV. He invited me to come to his show. So I'll be going there uh, next month, uh, February 21st. In the morning time between nine and 10, I'll be on the show. So. I'm pretty hyped up about that. You know, I like being on TV. I like, you know, help motivate people because when they see you on TV, like, man, I can do it. I know him. He's just normal like me. You know, he he don't act funny, you know. So when people can see somebody normal get on TV, it's always cool. Right. Know? That is a great motivation to see someone that you know. That's, but you've also been grinding at this for a minute, so it's starting to pay off. Um, Speaking of your music, I want to rewind a little bit and have us tell you about, you know, what inspired you to start getting into music. And at what age age did you know you wanted to be a rapper? Man, I think it might have been around, like, uh, to actually be a rapper, I want to say it's probably, like, you know, 17, 18. But I always like rapping in cyphers and stuff on the school bus and stuff like that. But... Like when I seen Jay Z's Dead Presidents video, that was in the I was in the basement at my grandma's house and I seen it come on. I didn't even know his name was Jay Z. I just seen the video and I was trying to catch it again. Like man, that was dope, you know. So right. um, just seeing him and then come to find out that was you know Jay Z and he one of my favorite artists. So he inspired me to you know do music and then you know I started getting to Jada Kiss and then. Later artists, Fabulous, and you know, and Kendrick Lamar, and you know, these some of these newer artists, you know. So yeah. So um, how many releases have you had thus far, as far as uh, albums, solo releases, and uh, what what's your latest releases as well? Okay. Um, I have uh, two. Um, I have two albums that. Um, what do you call it? Compilation. Compilations. Yeah. Then I have four 
solos and um, my my latest release is called had the ball i did three videos off of that now and, um hard boy or i just did that in mexico um street dreams uh, i did that in vegas and also um venom i did that in vegas too and i got a new video about to come out um probably in a couple weeks um i did that one in mexico as well so i'll be trying to you know, when I do videos, I like doing them in different states and get different sceneries in the background. Just show my fans I'm moving around, you know. Yeah, and you can definitely tell um, that's also inspirational to see you in all these different places because that it just seems like you're having a good time with the music and, and uh, instead of, you know, being mad at the world and frowned up all the time, it's like you can see you're having a great time and uh, experiencing life. And that can be also inspirational to uh, fans of, of music. Definitely. So uh, with this new album, uh, what have you done as far as promotion? Um, what, what kind of advice can you give to artists as far as, you know, if they want to pursue their dreams in music, given what you've uh, been through thus far? Hey, man, it's been rough, man. It feel like I should already found the code to break through the game, you know, but it's still right. grinding. Um, um, you know, I just try to find, like, promotional groups, um, you know, promote my video on YouTube uh, through Google Ads where they play your video on YouTube ads and right. um, you know just trying to you know like come on here on this podcast right mm -hmm. now you know and uh, get on the news and get on the radio just still just trying to find the outlet I just feel like you got to keep pushing because sometimes you, you, the person might not hear you that you need to hear you you know or just you know I'm just gonna keep grinding because I like doing it and like you said I'm having fun with it you know right and going places so you know I hope hopefully it take off if not you know I still got to just keep grinding and enjoying myself because as far as I know we only get one life here right so I'm just trying to enjoy myself right um so uh one thing I did want to touch on before we end this podcast is the fact that you're a uh, independent entrepreneur and uh you're involved in uh, real estate. So uh, one thing I mentioned earlier was that, you know, local musicians or independent uh, musicians in general should always be aware that you need something to fall back on uh, in case the music doesn't work. You know, it's, it's good to chase your dreams, but you got to you got to have money in order to invest in yourself. So uh, is there anything advice you'd like to give uh, to artists about getting into real estate or do you want to detail uh, how it is being a, a landlord or owning these properties uh, how do you like the business man uh, <laughs> it's hectic like it takes time you know get these projects done when you're dealing with the real estate but <clears throat> I never thought I would get into it like you know the order I got I'm like man I need something to fall back on right and then you know, I started doing numbers like, man, if I can get this many houses, I can rent these houses out for this amount. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I had so many, it could take care of everything. Right. I can go move somewhere else and my real estate would take care of my new mortgage if I had one or whatever I was going to do. So passive income, passive income. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I end up uh, one of my buddies, he was telling me about, the, you know, tax sales and stuff. So I end up going up there and checking it out. And I end up getting two houses for cheap. I'm like, what? I couldn't even believe it. Like, no, this is not real. So, uh, it's a secret. People, it, like, yes. people don't know about it. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, I, I started them first two projects. They took a while to get them finished. And, um, 
you know, when I got it finished and then I got it rented out and, you know, money start coming in, it's like, dang, okay, I need to do more. So then I was just getting, you know, houses for cheap and, you know, taking my time and fixing them up at my pace and, you know, right. getting them done, you know, like right now I got six houses completed. Um, I'm working on one right now and it's almost completed. I just sold a house. So... You know, it's just, it's a grind, but, you know, I like doing it, too. It's kind of like I'm passionate about houses, too, like I'm passionate about music. So, right, right. but, Jay, I, 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 you know, I recommend that, you know, if you can get into it and you can save up some money and you know how to do some of the work, you definitely going to get a nice little profit, you know. And right now, uh, you know, information is at everyone's fingertips uh, as mm-hmm. far as real estate information, even carpentry, electrician information. I mean, YouTube it, you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of information out there for free and there's a lot of paid courses you can find online for real estate and any other craft that you would like. And here at the Cornercast, we believe in investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was nice talking to you, Juan. I appreciate it. We'll have you back soon. I appreciate you for having me, man. No problem, man. Thanks. We have another special guest on the Cornercast today. It is Jet Terry, a teaching artist at Cornerstone Center for the Arts. He teaches some dance classes here, and we're going to find out uh, how he got into dance. Hey, Jet, how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? I'm doing great. When did you first discover that you were into dance? So when I was in the eighth grade, my grandma took me to see a musical uh, called Happy Days, if you're familiar Mm. with that. Yes. Yes. And I looked at her at the end of the musical and I said, I want to do that. So ever since then, I've been an active lover of dance, been studying dance, and then eventually went to college. I went to Purdue and got a degree in dance as well as acting. Nice. Now, what classes do you uh, teach at Cornerstone? At Cornerstone, I teach adult musical theater, adult ballet, uh, adult hip hop, kids hip-hop and kids jazz nice and uh how long have you been teaching here at uh, cornerstone this is just my second semester but i have absolutely loved it everyone is so friendly and it's so nice to see such inspiring kids yeah it's a great place to work um now you have some stuff that you're involved with outside of cornerstone and indie that you were telling me about before the interview could you give some more details about that yeah of course of course so i just finished up a production of the nutcracker if you're familiar with that with carmel ballet theater yes it's a pretty big ballet and so i've been working with them and i'm in talks with them about their production of swan lake and even if i'm not in it with them i will uh definitely go see it they're a terrific company and yeah i'm very involved in the indianapolis dance scene i'm also with a dance company called Phoenix Rising Dance Theater. Feel free to check us out on Instagram or any uh, social media. You can see some of my dance work there as well. Nice. What's the name of the company again? A Phoenix Rising Dance Theater. Phoenix Rising Dance Theater. And um, do you travel a lot as a dancer or is it mostly in indie? And, uh... Yeah, absolutely. So when I first graduated from Purdue, I was stationed uh, up by Chicago and I mm-hmm. did a contract there. When that contract ended, uh, with uh, cost of living being so high there and uh, the pandemic still raging, right. I decided to move down to Indianapolis. So now I'm, I'm pretty local, but I have commute occasionally to either nice. Chicago, Columbus, you know, basically based in the Midwest. Uh, What are the differences you notice between the scenes as far as uh, the dance community in Chicago and Indy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So with Chicago, I would say it's 
I love Chicago, don't get me wrong, but it's a little more frigid. Uh, really? It's a little more, less. Per- it's less personal, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, but I still love it. Some of the greatest artists I've ever met are from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis, I would say it's a lot more approachable. It's a lot mm-hmm. more approachable. I'm not as intimidated by the audition scene, by casting agents in Chicago. Um, dancers are plentiful, right, <laughs> to say right. the least. And Indianapolis, you know, you can definitely be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, if that right, makes sense. Right. I see. Um, now, as far as your uh, teaching at Cornerstone, um, a lot of these classes involve youth, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, some, about half, I would say, okay. involve youth. So um, what's the difference between teaching an adult and the and the youth? Are the youth more receptive to guidance than adults, I would assume? Or what, what, which would you prefer? Are, I'm sure there are things that you like about both, but what are some of the differences between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually prefer teaching adults, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah, um, I love kids. Don't get me wrong. I've always been passionate about a youth education. Right. Before I went into acting and dance, I actually was in elementary ed. So I right. am very passionate about um, kids and education. No but, knock against the babies. Right. No knock against the babies <laughs> here. However, uh, you definitely have to have a lot of patience. Um, however, the kids at Cornerstone are great and very right. receptive to um, me as an instructor, yeah. uh, very great listeners, and you know, take the information and apply it right away. I do see the adults could be a little more uh, stubborn with what they've been previously taught right. um, or some old habits that they have. However, adults that sign up and come here on their own free time, I find, love it just as much as those kids do. Right, right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listening audience or any information you'd like to give them about uh, any upcoming events or projects you have going on? Yeah, I mean, I am very involved with uh, I'm very involved with dance here uh, in Indianapolis. Not so much Muncie. However, mm-hmm. uh, I, right now I'm in a hiatus, so I do not start production for about another month. However, if you're in the Indianapolis area and would like to see me, I will be at the Indianapolis Zoo in March and April. We are doing a play there. So very Mm kid-friendly, very family-oriented production, original script. So if you'd like to see me in action, feel free to stop by the Indianapolis Zoo. Nice. I didn't even know they did things like that at the zoo. Is it a a common thing? How often does that happen? Yeah, so this past... About six months, really, they hired an entertainment team. Okay. Um, I don't know where they're based out of, but they came in, and I worked with them a little bit over Christmas doing some uh, elf-like stuff. Right. Uh, they had an original production called, uh, I don't think it was called anything, but it was a Caribbean Christmas theme. Right. And so now they're getting into more production elements just, you know, to try to bring more bliss and fun to the zoo, I guess. Definitely. Well, it was great talking to you, and then we hope to have you back. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Cornerstone Center for the Arts offers opportunities for creative expression for all through community and rental spaces in a historic setting. Thousands of area residents attend events, wedding and civic events, in addition to taking classes in art, dance, and music. Cornerstone is home to the Muncie Symphony Orchestra, the Masterworks Chorale, the East Central Chamber Orchestra, America's Hometown Band, and the Bridge Church. For additional information, go to cornerstonearts.org or call 765-281-9503.